service in the lobby. Also, uh, for board members, we'll be meeting today after service in the conference room. Turn around, look at your neighbor, and say this with me. Someone. Do it one more time. Someone is calling your name. I want to preach to you just a little bit today about someone is calling your name. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Matthew, the 11th chapter, and starting with verse 12. And it says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Let's pray together. Father, we just ask you to have your way. Lord, as we surrender to you, let your word come alive in our hearts. And Lord, direct our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. That scripture, we hear a lot, but sometimes we don't really grasp what it's saying. It says, it's since the days of John the Baptist. It's important for you to understand when this was spoken. Jesus spoke this right after some of John's disciples came to him and asked him if he was the one that was supposed to be coming. In other words, he was asking him, are you the Messiah or should I be looking for someone else? So he's saying since the days of John the Baptist, since John came and started preaching, and John was going through something, and we're going to get to that in just a second, but he's saying since John started preaching, the kingdom of heaven suffered the violence. See, there's always going to be those that are trying to keep you out. How many of you have ever, well, let me not say it like that. Let me think how I can do this and be politically correct. Uh, forget it. I'm not politically correct anyway. Okay, <clears throat> there's, there's always going to be someone trying to tell you that you're not good enough, that you're not fit, that you're not worthy, that you don't count, that you don't matter. But when John came preaching, he was preaching something that they'd never really heard before. He was talking to them and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he starts baptizing folks and, and man, there is a crowd of people that are trying to force their way into the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. That word violence means to force, and so these people hear it that had never had a hope before. All they had ever known was the law of animal sacrifice, and, and, you, know, and you were never good enough, and you were never going to measure up, and it was, it was never going to be enough. And John comes preaching a message they'd never heard, and when they hear about this hope that the gospel brings and the mercy that can be extended to them, they begin to come out and all the scribes and Pharisees that are looking at them and judging them and saying, you're not fit and you're not worthy, they don't care what they're saying anymore. Because here came someone bringing them a message of hope. How many of you have ever felt like that you were trying to be forced out? You know what I'm talking about? Like maybe when you were in school or you're in school now and there's a group and they're kind of cliquish, you know, and they all kind of hang together and they're trying to force you out of their group. They don't want you in. Or maybe it was a, a club that you were trying to join and you got forced out or a bowling league and your average is like 10 pins. And so nobody wanted you on their team. How many of you have ever stood in line or, or how many of you have ever remember when you were in school and they were choosing up teams and you were always praying to God you weren't going to be the last one chosen again? So it's, it's about feeling like you're isolated, but think about this. The kingdom of God, for the first time in their lives, they see an opening. They hear repent. Bring forth fruit, meat to repentance, and, and the door's opening, and everyone's trying to crowd in, and yet those Pharisees and scribes are trying to keep them pushed out. Everybody say, take it by force. 
So these folks got their mind made up. I don't care what you say. I see an opening. These folks are like people shopping on Black Friday. <laughs> see an opening. Probably the reason that James back is a little weak is because he used to do those Black Friday sales. <laughs> it's true, man. He, I, I remember hearing stories of him jumping over people's backs because they, 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 they would put those pallets out and he leaped over their back and he'd start throwing dolls back to his wife and she was catching them and shoving them in the buggy. He was all in. Everybody say all in. See, we've got to make up our mind that we're going to be all in for the kingdom, that, that we're not going to let somebody force us out. Listen, Christ himself makes a statement and said that tax gatherers and harlots go before you into the kingdom of God. When he was talking to the scribes and Pharisees, what was he saying? He's saying, look, this isn't about a pecking order. You know, there were some that felt like they had the chiefest spot in the synagogue and that they were the important ones. But when it comes to God, there's no respect of persons. He's just looking for hungry hearts. And so when you get hungry for him, if we're going to take possession of the kingdom of God, we've got to have our mind made up because all hell is going to oppose you. How many of you know, how many of you have ever had some battles since you've been living for God? trying to get pushed down. It, it, it's going to oppose you every step of the way. But if we're not absolutely purposed in our mind and in our hearts to give up our sins and let God transform our lives, we're never going to make it. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, my mind's made up. There used to be a song, if I could play a guitar, I'd sing a little bit of it for you. Thankful for you, I can't play guitar. You know what, I'm getting ready to go. It said, there used to be a song. Raise your hand if you've heard this song. Well, my foot's on the rock and my, help me out. And my mind's made up. Hold your hand up if you ever heard that. It said, my foot's on the rock and my mind's made up. Though I walk through the bitter valley, or though I walk through the lonely valley, though I drink from a bitter cup. When comes, when the devil comes a knocking, showing me a better way, I'll stand right flat on my feet. I'll throw my head in the air. I'll look him straight in the eye and say, my foot's on the rock and my mind's made up. How many of you want a made up mind? It's a, you, look, you, you've got to have it. You're not going to make it in this day and hour unless you have made up your mind that you're going to serve God. You've got to fight for it. And so he takes it by force. There's got to be a violent determination that refuses to let go of God no matter what circumstances are surrounding you. John understood it. When you look at John's life, John had had a successful ministry. I mean, and this is where Jesus speaks these, this passage. It's right in this where all this stuff is happening. Listen, man. They came out from all the regions around Jordan to hear John preach. And then they were being baptized. And so John is successful. And he goes from having a successful ministry to being thrown in jail and sitting on death row. That quick. Why? Because he wouldn't bow to rulers and kings when it came to the word of God. You need to hear what I'm going to say. You're going to have to make up your mind that no matter what happens in this nation, no matter what happens around the world, you're going to hang on to the word of God. Everybody say, I'm, I'm hanging on. I was on a ship one time well, more than once, but on this particular time, we were on a cruise ship, and they had a 30-foot wall on the 18th deck of that ship, and it was for you to climb on. So I got strapped in, and I thought, I'm going to climb that wall. I'm telling you, man, when you're up 30 feet in the air on the 18th foot, or on the 18th deck of a ship, you're up there. I mean, you know, you look out over, and man, it is, it, it's, it's water that looks like it's maybe a hundred foot drop to where 
that water's at and, and I'm hanging on, you know, I'm climbing up and I, and I got to, they, they positioned these, you know what I'm talking about, those rocks, those little pegs, they were in the wrong place because they did not match my feet. And so I got myself in a position where I had my hand on one, but my legs were too short. <laughs> and I could not get my leg up on another one. And I stood there, literally my whole body hanging. And I've got, I've got one hand clenched and I'm hanging there. And the guy on the deck turned and looked at my wife and said, I don't. But I, 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 what did he say? He said, I can't believe He's hanging by one hand like that. He couldn't believe that I was able to hold myself up with one hand. And I'd been doing it for a while, trying to get to that other peg. And people, they, they said, how did you do that? I said, in my mind, I said, if I let go, I'm going to die. And I didn't want to die. So I just kept hanging on. You got to get it determined in your heart and in your spirit. We got to quit acting like it's no big deal whether I live for God or not. And, you know, and everybody's going to heaven. I got news for you. Everybody's not going to heaven. There's only one way to get there, and that way is through Jesus Christ. Those aren't my rules. It's written. And so we've got to make up our mind, I'm hanging on. Everybody say, I'm hanging on. Not going to let go. I'm not going to give up. John is hanging on. He said, look, let's be real, all right? When you go through stuff, sometimes you begin to question whether or not God even sees what I'm going through. Have any of you ever been there before? Have you ever had something happen in your life or, or, or where it, it just got you to questioning your walk with God? You may not have questioned whether or not he's real, but you may just question whether or not you were. You may, it, it may have caused you to question whether he sees you or whether he hears you. The Bible said, Jesus said concerning John the Baptist that among prophets, there wasn't one born any greater than John was. So Jesus puts John way up there. And then we see John sending people to ask him if he's the one. John's hanging on with everything he's got. He hasn't let go. He hasn't given up. He hasn't thrown in the towel. But, buddy, he's taken a beating. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? And he just keeps hanging on to it. And stay with me because I'm going someplace today. And when he, he, finally, he, he makes that determination, he won't let go, then God reinforces his faith. Jesus sends word back to him. You go tell John everything that you've seen and heard. And man, they saw some stuff. They saw the lame walk. They saw blinded eyes open. They saw the dead raised. They saw lame people get up. And, and so he said, tell John that everyone is blessed that doesn't get offended in him. What was he saying? He's telling John, John, if you'll hold on and not give up, you're going to find out it's worth it all. Say it with me. It's worth it all. So he, he knows what it is to go through stuff. You have to fight to keep what God's given you. How many of you have ever felt like your, your faith get a little weak? Wave your hand at me. Those of you that aren't waving your hand, I'd like to meet with you after service, and I want you to show me how you walk on water. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all had those situations happen in our life. So the devil is always trying to rip from you what God has given to you. How many of you have ever felt the devil trying to rip hope from you before? Anybody? Well, what am I supposed to do, Pastor? Get in the Word. Because what you'll find is that he already knew what you were going to face. So for he... Every time we find ourselves in a situation that we feel like we can't get out of, he's made a way of escape for us. It's kind of like that there are passages of scriptures that are keys that open the door of the dungeon that we've been thrown in and feel like we're languishing away in. When you feel like hope is being taken.
you. Read Romans 5 and 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Paul's saying, I know it's coming, but when it comes, get the word out. Someone is calling your name. The devil tries to rip away our finances. How many of you have ever had more bills at the end of the month than you've had money? And yet in that, God gives us a key to rescue our finances. And here it is. Malachi 3, 10. Bring all tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. It's the only place in Scripture that God challenges us to try him. He says, now try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Look, we read that, and then what we do is we lump all that together. We say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's, that's a preacher's favorite scripture. He's just talking about tie, 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 tie. That scripture, there he goes, talking about money again. Those of you that know me know I very seldom talk about money. God's not a respecter of person, but my friend, he is a respecter of principle. And if you don't operate in the principle that God laid out for our finances, don't expect him to bless you. He's under no obligation to do it. But when you operate underneath his word, he's obligated. He said, you try me and see if I won't do it. I'll not only pour out to you blessing you, can't have, you don't have room to receive, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. I've seen that happen. I had a, I had a set of 40,000-mile tires go 120,000 miles. That's rebuking the devourer off of my tread. I, I've just seen God cause things to go. How many of you have ever had God stretch some things out for you? And then it, Jesus backs it up. And he says, don't worry about these things, seeing what we will eat and what we'll drink, what we'll wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Amen. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. Amen. Amen. Pretty good stuff, huh? What's he saying? He said, just seek me and live right. And I'll take care of you. When we quit, uh, when we quit our job and went on the field, the first year I made half. The first year I was on the field, I made half of what I made when I worked a secular job. Everybody say half. Half. I got to the end of the year and I looked at it and I thought, oh, I only made half. But I looked around and we had more stuff than we'd ever had in our life. And I thought, how in the world did that happen? Everybody say, that's God. God can take a sack lunch and feed a multitude of folks with it. That's God. God can take what you've given him and turn it around and multiply it back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, so it can cause men to pour into your bosom. That's God. The devil's trying to rip your family apart. How many of you have ever been there before? Trying to rip your family apart. Listen to what John tells us in 3 John 1 and 2. Beloved or I'm sorry, in Jeremiah 31, 16, this isn't John talking, folks, this is Jeremiah. But now this is what the Lord says. Do not weep any longer, for I will reward you, says the Lord. Your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. Your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. So what happens? They're not back yet. It's a distant land. It took them a while to get out there. You've got to give them time to get back. It's kind of like if I call Debbie and she says, where are you at? And I said, well, I'm, she calls me from Missouri and I'm in Illinois. I said, I'm in Illinois and I, I'm, I'm getting ready to leave. She calls me five minutes. And this doesn't happen. I'm just giving you a scenario. She calls me five minutes later and says, how come you're not here yet? I can't get there. I can't get there from here in five minutes. 
you understand some of us are wanting God to do it right now, right now, right now. And God's saying, look, you need to trust me. You need to release this into my hand and I'll bring them back from that distant land. It's going to happen. Say it with me. It's going to happen. He tries to rip our health from us. How many of you have ever suffered with sick, you know, sickness? You know, there's been a flu bug going around. There's been viruses going. I get phone calls. I got the bug. Get some raid, man. <laughs> no, literally, don't you get tired of the bug? I mean, I want to do whatever I can to destroy the bug. But the truth is, is the bug has been destroyed. We live in a natural, carnal, fallen body. I know you don't believe that. Especially when you're looking up here at me. <laughs> we, we live in a, uh, in a fallen body. And, and so at best we're subject to things. But God said, look, I'm going to create a barrier for you. I'm going to protect and guard your health. So 3 John 1 and 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So here's the deal. There's a correlation here, man. He's saying, I want you to be healthy just as healthy as your walk with me is. Just as healthy as your Soulless, I want you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. You can't, look, I could, I, I, I could focus all my attention on my natural man and still be sick. Amen. How many of you know folks that are in good shape and they still get sick? I can, you're not going to stop that from happening. But what the writer says is, look, focus on getting your heart right. Don't li- I mean, you, you, you need to live healthy. Everybody say live healthy. That means you cannot have sugar smacks except like maybe once every morning. You, you have to live healthy. But you have to keep your focus on God. Peter comes back to reinforce when we find ourselves sick. And he said in 1 Peter 2 and 24, who himself, he's talking about Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. I've thought about that. I've thought about the fact that he subjected himself to pain to free us from ours. That's love, folks. That's love. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, unless the Lord comes back, we're all going to die. Look at your neighbor and say, I knew it was coming. we We never think about that, you know, when we're teenagers. But I had a lot of my teenage friends die. Car wrecks, overdoses, they're not with us anymore. I had a grade school friend die when I was in the third grade. It didn't seem right. But you understand that death is not the end of the journey. It's the beginning. It is the beginning. I get to looking up, and I, maybe I shouldn't think this way, but sometimes I, at night I'll go out and I'll, I'll be looking up and I'll, I'll, I'll be praying. I said, God, man, it would be so, I wonder what it's like to be in your presence. I don't want to leave my family or anything like that right now, but God, I would love just to step in your presence and to experience what it's like. Anybody ever think like that besides me? To experience what it's like to be with you? I guess I'm an oddball. You know what I'm talking about? It's just to, to know so I, you don't have to dread something. You can look forward to it. Amen. Don't speed up the process. But when it comes, you don't have to panic. It's just about the fact that I'm getting a new body. Amen. Paul 
fought for men and women to experience the grace of God. He fought for it. You remember Paul's story? He's a Pharisee. (laughs) He's having all these people committed to prison and he's having them put to death. And then he experiences God for himself. Me telling you about Jesus is never going to take the place of you experiencing him for yourself. I can talk to you about how good he is, about how wonderful he is, but you'll never get it until you open your heart and receive him. And when you receive him, it's like, oh my goodness, man, I didn't believe it could be like this. It just transforms everything. Now, look, if you feel like living for God, it's just about coming to church and sitting on a pew and doing your time and, and, you know, and then getting up and going home, then I've got news for you. Alert. You haven't experienced Christ yet. You can go through the motions, but that doesn't mean you've got the experience. I can walk with an electrician all day long, but I still don't know how to wire a house. What are you saying? I've got to get him inside me. You've got, you got to get that electrician in your head. You've got to let Christ in your heart. And when he gets in your heart, everything changes. Everything changes. Paul had, had been in a place preaching the word of God and they came and, and some other believers showed up and, and they were trying to add to what it takes to get you saved. Anybody ever ask you what do you have to do to be saved? How am I saved? I want to clarify something. The only thing that saves you, everybody say this with me, the only thing is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the, I don't, I don't care what else you do. His sacrifice is the only reason we're saved today. Amen. You try to ascribe it to anything else and you diminish what he did. It's his sacrifice that saved us. Paul had carried the law with him his whole life, and he lived by the law, but he had no relationship with God. It led him down a path where he was a bitter man and an angry man and a mean man. And when he was transformed, he was determined not to let that happen to anyone else. So when these believers showed up and they started saying, hey, you know, accepting Jesus isn't enough, you also got to be circumcised. He fought that vehemently. To the point that there is such a big deal about this that they end up going to Jerusalem and meeting with all the church elders, including not just Peter, but the brother of Jesus, whose name was James. They all come together, and Peter starts talking to them. Look, man, I was at Cornelius' house. Cornelius had been circumcised. The Lord spoke to me to go there. I watched God fill them with his spirit while I was still talking to him. Now, are you trying to tell God that he can't do that? Are you trying to ascribe something else to salvation other than believing in Christ? And Paul began to talk about all the miracles that had happened among the Gentiles. And, and, and they all, they're all just caught up with it. And then all of a sudden, James steps up, the brother of Jesus, and he said, it seems good to me and the Holy Ghost. That, look, 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 can I put this in plain English? Let's not make this harder than it ought to be. Let's just tell them to keep away from, don't, don't eat anything mingled with blood. Don't eat strangled animals and, and, and you know, don't have sexual immorality going on in your life. And, and, you know, don't eat meat that's been offered to idols. He said, because all this stuff, man, we've had for generations. I mean, everybody does that anyway. And so Paul goes back, letting them know that it's the grace of God that makes the difference. Everybody say the grace of God. He goes all over the world telling. I mean, man, he's excited. He's, he's, and there were some places Paul wanted to go, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him. He, he headed to Asia one time, and the Holy Spirit stopped him. And then he's getting ready to go to a place called Bithynia. And, and the Lord stops him and said, no, don't go there. And so Paul's thinking, well, okay, God, you don't want me to go there. Where should I go? And he has a dream or a vision. And he sees this man in Macedonia calling out to him, saying, Come and help us. Say it with me. Someone is calling your name. And when Paul heard that man in Macedonia the next day, 
he got up and he went to Macedonia. Man, they had all kinds of revival. I mean, everybody got saved. The whole town got saved. Everybody. No, that's not what happened. That's what we expect to happen, right? When we hear the call of God, when, we, hear, when we, we step out in faith and do what God tells us to do, we expect smooth sailing. How many of you have ever been on the Atlantic Ocean? Wave your hand if you've ever been on the Atlantic. Those of you that have ever been on the Atlantic know that there is no such thing as smooth sailing. You don't want to know how to tell the difference between the Atlantic and the Pacific The Pacific stands for peaceful waters. The Atlantic stands for agitated waters. The Atlantic's always, we get this in our head like that when we act and we move out for God that all of a sudden everything's going to go smooth and that's not true. God will be with you and God will make a way for you but you're still going to have some stuff you got to face. He goes to Macedonia. He meets a woman there. He preaches the gospel. She gets baptized. Her family gets baptized. He stays with her. Her name's Lydia. He leaves there, and he's going around town sharing the gospel. And this woman that's got a demon on her, you know, she's, she divine, she's got a spirit of divination on her, and she's foretelling the future, start following them around saying, these are men of the most high God. This went on for days, and Paul finally turned around, got tired of it, looked at her and said, the Lord rebuked that spirit that's in you, and it left her. And she couldn't, the people that owned her, couldn't use her anymore. I want you to get this, because some people miss this. Some people only see that a demonic spirit was cast out, and the men lost their means of wealth, and they miss the point that God set a woman free that had been captive. Everywhere he goes, he's setting people free. That's why dictators fight the gospel. It's the truth. That's why Russia gathered the books up and burned them. That's why Lenin and Stalin didn't want the word there. It's why all these dictators around the world try and destroy the Bible because the scripture says you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so they grab Paul up, they throw him in before the magistrates, they beat him, they whip him, they throw him in jail. And Paul's in jail and he says, praise God, this is exactly what I expected. No, he doesn't. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but let me just ask a question. How many of you have ever done what God asked you to do and then only found out that there's a battle raging because of it? That doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. There's a good chance it means you're exactly where God called you to be. So he's thinking, man, I get one convert, I get her family. Now I'm in prison. I've been beat. I've been whipped. You know what Paul did? He started singing. I'm getting better since I've been going to youth. (laughs) Cordell and David have been showing me some moves. He starts singing, when you decide to praise God in the middle of your mess, it drives the devil nuts. When you decide you're not going to gripe and complain, you're not going to shake a fist at heaven, but you're going to raise your hands to heaven and begin to love him and proclaim him. Do you know what happened? As they started singing, the whole jailhouse began to rock, and Elvis wasn't even in the building. Everyone, people miss this. When Paul and Silas decide to praise God in the middle of their mess, everybody's chains fell off. The best thing you can do for your family is begin to worship God. The best thing you can do for your place of employment is begin to worship God. 
We had people, when I was working in secular job, we had folks getting filled with the Holy Ghost on break time. <laughs> it's a true story. We had people getting healed. They, they sent word out, you cannot be talking about God out there. I sent word back, you can have your job, but you can't have my testimony. I'm not going to cave. Now, I understand, I wasn't belligerent with it. I wasn't stopping work. I wasn't jumping up on a table and saying, everybody's attention, please. I'm a man of God up here. Look, when he's in you, he just flows out of you. Matter of fact, I never even told people I was a preacher. They came up to me and told me I was. What are you saying? I'm saying it's an overflow. You got to praise God and let him get in you so he can get in your circumstance and in the middle of your situation and set you free. Everyone's chains fell off. Everyone's doors opened up. But the guy that got saved wasn't locked up. Paul heard a man's voice, and we miss who that man was. It was the jailer. He's the only man that the Scripture records Paul, Paul going to. This guy's free, but he's not free. How many of you know what that means? You can live in America. You can experience the land of the free and still be in prison in your heart. Dead man drew his sword and started to take his life. And Paul called out to him and said, don't take your life. And before that night was over with, Paul gave him something worth living for. His name is Jesus. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise. His name is Jesus. i got to wrap up here. It made me think about a story of a young boy that had faced adversity. His dad was a deacon of a church. His grandpa was a preacher. But this boy was always in trouble. He became an embarrassment kind of to the family. His father talked to him and said, Pat, what are we going to do with you, man? You just keep messing up. And he said, well, I don't, Dad, I don't know. And, and, and then one day, he lived in, uh, on an, an, an English, in, in an English village. And one day... A neighboring nation came over and they burned his village to the ground and they captured this 16-year-old boy and took him back to Ireland to make him a slave. When he got over there, in Ireland, worship was of false gods and there were druid priests and they practiced human sacrifice. And the head priest of the Druids, or the Druids, saw Patrick and laid claim to him, and he had another man to deliver him to the temple. The man was on his way to deliver Patrick to the temple when another man stopped him, and that man's name was Miklu. And Miklu looked at him and said, You owe me money, I want my money. And the man said, I have no money to give you. He said, then I'll take the boy. He said, you can't take this boy. I've got to deliver that boy to the temple. He said, that's your problem. I'm taking the boy. So he took Pat and he, took all, and he, he left and he took him out to where he lived out in the country. And he looked at that young boy and he said, now look. He said, you can either be tied up to your bedpost every night or you can show me that I can trust you. And so he watched Pat for several weeks, and the man came to him, and he said, Pat, he said, I, I believe I can trust you. He said, if you serve me well, you may one day win your freedom. He said, I'm going to send you to a far field for you to tend sheep over there. I want you to take them with you and tend them. And Patrick took those sheep and he didn't run away, and he tended those sheep for six years. Six years of solitary on a hillside gave him the opportunity to find God in a real way. During those six years, Pat gave himself completely to God. And then as he was praying one day, he heard a voice 
speak to him and say, you're going to go back to your home country. And he looked around, but there was no one. Later, he was praying again, and the same voice came and said, your ship has arrived, or your ship is ready. And then when he dreamed that night, he dreamt of a ship that was far away. Because of the dream and the voice he heard, he made up his mind that when he went back to the house, he was going to talk to Miglu and ask him if he could have his freedom. And so when Patrick took the sheep back, he went to him and he said, uh, you, you told me that one day if I would serve you faithfully that, that I could win my freedom. But Miglu looked at him and he said, Pat, and he said, you're a skilled shepherd. I'd be a fool to let you go now. So Patrick turned and walked out of the house. And when he did, he kept walking. He walked for two hundred miles. He walked through forests and bogs and over rocky terrain and through sand until he came up on a south seaport. And there he saw the ship that he dreamed about. He walked up to the captain of that ship and asked if he was going to England. And he said, well, as a matter of fact, I am, but I have to go through France first. He said, could I have passage on the ship? And the man told him, he said, no, this, isn't a, this is a cargo vessel. I can't take you. But when he found out that Patrick was a shepherd, he had animals on that boat. And he said, if you'll tend to the sheep, I'll give you passage and take care of your food. So he did. Seven years after Patrick had been taken as a, had been kidnapped from his own land, he returned home to his father. But he didn't stay long. He had another dream. And this time in the dream, he saw letters being delivered to him. And he started opening up of the letters, and he said that the letters all spoke with one voice. He said it was the voice of the Irish people. And they said to him, Patrick, come and walk among us in Ireland once more. Come back to us, Patrick. Come back. Patrick realized that God was calling him back to a place that had enslaved him. Amen. Some of us are always running from our troubles. Amen. But this young man went back to his because he believed that God was telling him to share the message. He equipped himself, prepared himself in study, and then he sailed to Ireland. When he got there and he started to get off, they stopped him. There were people there that stopped him, and they said, what are you doing here? He said, he said we have no swords. We bring you no ill will. We've just come to declare to you the good news of the gospel. And they looked at him. They said, we, we don't want any English priests here. Just, just go back where you came from. And he said, you go and tell the king that, I, that an emissary of the Lord Jesus Christ has arrived to bring him the truth of the good news of the gospel. And so they went and told the king, and the king received him, even though the Druid priest fought against it. But the queen wanted to hear him. And he came in, and he made such an impression with these people that the king allowed him to stay in Ireland and share the gospel. And he walked the length and breadth of Ireland declaring the gospel message. But the, still, the Druids was there. How many of you know that there's always something uh, trying to rob you of what God's trying to get to you? Uh, always someone trying to take from you uh, what God's ordained for you to have. And finally, it came to a culmination. The Druids had a festival and they would pile up this big pile of wood on a hill that set it the, or the, that the palace set by and they would set it on fire and no one was allowed to light a fire until that fire had been lit and it was supposed to be symbolic of the power of their gods and Patrick on this particular year that festival fell on Easter and it was more than Pat could stand and he decided he had to take a risk. And so he piled wood up as high as he could on another mountain. And he set it on fire. And when he did, the king saw it. The druids saw it. And they said, who would dare to light that fire in opposition to us? They sent to bring Patrick to the kingdom. And Patrick walked in. And he said, king, for too long, you've abode in darkness. These are the lights of God. This is the fire of Christ that has come to set you free. 
The Druids didn't want him to stay. And so he poisoned a chalice of wine and he handed it to Patrick. And he said, if, if, let, let, let's put aside our disagreements and let's toast and let's drink together. And Patrick said, you drink from the wine first. And the man looked at him and said, but I have a cup of my own. I don't, I, I, you, you drank from, he said, no. He said, do you think that I'm so blind that God, me, God brought me this far not to be able to see through the likes of you uh, for you've put poison in my chalice uh, and I will not drink. And he turned and walked out. When he did, uh, the king looked at the druid uh, and he said, did you poison that cup? Uh, no, sir. No, sir, I did not do it. And he said, then his wife said, then drink of the cup. Uh, and the man refused to and the king said oh this is silly I'll drink from the cup picked it up started to put it to his lips and the druid priest slapped it out of his hand and said don't drink it don't drink it the king looked at me said I had no intention to and he said I think that maybe my kingdom has stayed in darkness too long get out of my courts get out of my palace and I banish you druids and your gods from my kingdom That's what we celebrate today, St. Patrick's Day. He wasn't a figment of someone's imagination. He was a 16-year-old boy that felt so far from God until the day he turned his face to God and heard someone calling his name. Would you stand with me today? I'm here to proclaim to you that you, my friend, have purpose. That God has called you for a reason. And I want to ask you one question. Who is calling your name? Because somewhere in your life, Someone you're connected to. Someone that you'll find favor with or already have favor with needs to hear about this God of yours. Patrick did not bring a message to Ireland of how God kept him from trouble his whole life, but rather a message of how God saw him through trouble his whole life. Are you ready to take that step and let God send you on that mission? It may be across the ocean or it may just be across the street. It may be the person that's in the cubicle next to you at work. It may be that obnoxious relative that no one can stand. Someone is calling your name. And if you don't share it, how will they hear? Years ago, years ago, I was preaching a meeting up in Benton, Illinois. In the middle of the message, a young man walked in and sat on the back. I was preaching a message about the mask and how the devil tries to rob us of our identity. I talked about a man by the name of Legion that didn't even know what his name was. The devil had identified him and he lived under that shadow for years of his life until someone called Jesus showed up and took the mask off. And that man said in his right mind, that young man came to the altar and gave his heart to God that night and when service was over with, he came to me and he said, I walked by this place. He said, I was on the way to kill myself. I'd made up my mind I was going to take my life. I was headed there. And something brought me in here. Someone is calling your name. You have a purpose. God's got a plan for your life. Quit feeling like you don't count and you don't matter. You do count and you do matter. You're a child of the king. 
You've got, do you understand? You, you're an emissary, you're an ambassador. You, you have orders from a king. You don't need to duck your head down. You need to lift it up and say, here I am, God, use me. If you're ready to do that today, I want you to take a step toward me right now. And I want you to hear what I'm gonna say. I want you to hear what I'm gonna say. Because sometimes we don't move until our mess is resolved. I'm here to tell you, your mess may very well never get resolved until you move. It's called a step of faith. If I already see it, it's not faith. Remember that Indiana Jones clip where he's got to step out and he can't see anything? And he's saying, there's no way I can leap this. There's, and then in his mind, he says, it's, it's a step of faith. And he reaches out to step on nothing and found something. Isn't it time for you to take your step? Instead of being hunkered down and, and living in fear or living in depression, take a step and say, here I am, God. Matter of fact, this is what I'm going to, I'm going to make it real easy for you today. You don't even have to step down here. If you'll just stretch your hand up and say, Pastor, I'm ready to take that step for God. Would you just hold that hand up? It's not for me to see it. It's just, it's just God. It's, it's you letting God know, I hear you. I want you in my life ordering my steps. Now, remember what I told you? There's a shift coming. You've been, it's like you've been standing on an edge looking off and it looks like a big drop. But there's a shift coming. And that chasm that's been between you and the other side of that mountain is getting ready to close. So that instead of stepping off into nothing, you're going to step off into purpose. You're going to step into confidence. You're going to step into determination and do what God's had ordained for you to do all along. Would you stretch your hands to heaven with me right now? All across this building, let's just take a moment and pray together. Come on, you pray in your own way. Father, here we are, and we come to you hungry asking you, Lord, to give us the courage to take the step. Someone's calling our name, God. Someone needs to hear about how good you've been in our lives. They need to hear about your message. They need to know. The only way I can tell them, God, I, first I've got to get it in me. Help me to hide the word in my heart so I won't sin against you. Help me, God, to get it in me so it becomes a light that shines to others. Help me, God, not to cave to circumstances or pressures around me, but to stand in faith knowing that you're bigger than the giants of my life. And I declare your name now among men. Here I am, Jesus. Here I am, Jesus. Have your way in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, now look, I want you to get ready just a second. I didn't hear any thunder roll. I didn't see any lightning flash. But I know, as sure as I'm standing here, that God is about to break open heaven. And you're going to experience for the first time in your lives His presence, not just directing you, but apprehending you. Did you ever get to the place where you think, man, I'm lost. I don't know how to get to where I'm going. Now we have what's called a GPS, maps on my phone. And all you have to do is punch it in. Isn't it odd that that phone knows exactly where you're at and knows where you need to be and can get you there? This past weekend, I lost my phone. 
in a Chicago airport. I didn't even know the hotel I was supposed to be going to. I was in a panic. Here's the good news. It's, I've never lost God. I, no matter where I'm at, now I've, I've gotten myself in some predicaments before, but God was always there. You can't misplace God. He doesn't fall out of your back pocket. He, he doesn't slip out. And, and after I lost that phone, I, I, I got another little one and I was on the plane going home and felt it fall out of my pocket. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have to live in fear. God not only knows where you're at, he knows how to get you to where you're going. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise in this house. Sing it. Won't let the storm weather my heart. I won't let the darkness keep me down. Singing tonight, my hope alive in you. Yes, Lord. I'll walk through the fire and not be burned. I'll pray in the fight to watch it turn. Jesus, tonight I give it all to you. I won't let the storm weather my heart. I won't let the darkness keep me down. I'll sing in the night my hope alive in you. I won't let this fire and not be burned. I pray in the fire and watch it turn. Jesus, tonight I give it all to you. Cause even when the world plays, even when the fire goes, even when the wars are raised, I'll take part. I know you're a great. someone's calling your name God's going to point them out to you you find them and pour into them all right God bless you remember he's you're the head and not the tail above and not beneath and God's going to cause his face to shine upon you in Jesus name
just the